Good evening, ladies. It's really good to see you guys, um, both physically and virtually. My name is Lindy Sanner, and I am one of the Bible study coordinators for the women's ministry, as well as part of the women's ministry teaching team, as well as the fact that I run a really awesome virtual discussion group. So shout out to my discussion group homies. They're really cool. I love them to pieces. And it's nice that we can just get together while we're in our homes. But it's also nice to be out here with you all for the second week now. Um, I feel a little bit human. I know that can sound a little bit crazy because, you know, you see people every day. But You guys are my people, and I just, I love being amongst you. So I do have a couple of announcements. So the first announcement is that we have a winter Bible study coming up. It starts on February 2nd, and it will run through till March 30th. So uh, we will be studying the Knowing knowing the Bible study guide on 1st and 2nd Peter, Um, As well as like when you look at it, you'll notice it also says Jude. So just kind of ignore that. They go along together really, really nicely. As well as the fact that we will be having in-person Bible study discussion groups as well as virtual, just like we have right now. As well as the fact that there will be live teaching offered as well as there will be teaching available online, just like live teaching on a Tuesday night. But those will be pre-recorded. Whereas if you are brave enough to come and be with us, you get the real deal in action live show, bloopers and all. Um, all right, y'all. So I believe that's all of the, the, yep. Mm -hmm, I did good. Okay, perfect. Now we can move on to what I'm actually here to do, which is talk about session five of Jude. So just real quick to recap, it's been quite a few weeks. We started off feeling really good, being told we're beloved, we're loved, and we're kept. And then we got some warnings about individuals that are um, sneaking into the church and they are perverting the faith. And then we heard about how historically speaking, this isn't a surprise to us. This isn't a surprise to the people that are hearing the word of God. They're just being reminded that this was going to happen. You've been told, you've been warned, the time is now. This is what you're going to look out for. This is what's happening. This is what you're going to do about it. So we're not quite at the, this is what you're going to do about it part, but we've really kind of heard about the contending part. Next, what we're going to discuss tonight is going to be our specific relationship with God. So that being said and done, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to read the scripture that we're going to be studying tonight, and then we'll jump into prayer. Jude 17 through 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. 
Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we could come together both physically and virtually to be in the word. Um, thank you so much for the reminders that you give us this week about what it takes to be kept in your love. God, I pray that these words can be stamped onto the hearts on each and every single woman who hears them this evening. I pray that we can persevere in contending for the faith. And God, most importantly, I pray that we can grow closer in relationship to you as we get to know the characteristics of who you are and how you love us and how you have kept us and chosen us and loved us. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen. Alrighty, ladies. So we live in a world that is constantly evolving and changing. I personally blame technology. As awesome as technology is, it has taken this big wide world and it has made it smaller. What that means is that we're able to transfer information between each other at the blink of an eye, at a blink of a second. So some things that have been influenced by this rapid speed and change of technology are things such as some um, local tribes of uh, small countries or like tribes out in the native regions of specific countries. I'm thinking about like South Africa, where I am from, like the rural areas that typically didn't have running water or electricity when they got a cell phone with data, it opened up this whole new world. So you take this village that had all of these traditions that are just seeped in their culture and all of the spiritual traditions that they have and all of the religious traditions that they have and all of the tribal traditions that they have, and they added whatever the rest of the world is doing. I'll never forget when my grandmother first heard hip-hop. Now, I don't mean, I don't mean like old school Bismarcky cool hip hop where everybody can like sing along. I'm talking about like 50 Cent, like rap hip hop. She was like, wait, I'm that, wait, hold on. Like, they, people listen to this. People are like engaging in this. But it kind of made her question our taste in music and who we are and what we think and growing up and how we're going to change the world. She didn't think the world was in good shape once she heard that music because she said this is the future. So there's good ideas and bad ideas and we have all of these ideas about all of these different things but specifically we're going to be talking about ideas in the church. So there are good ideas and bad ideas that we as Christians have. We have good ideas and bad ideas about sexuality, about gender, about human dignity, about authority of scripture, or even about scriptural understanding. We have good and bad ideas about the gospel, and we have good and bad ideas about what it means to be part of the body of Christ. So I cannot tell you how many times I, for one, have sought the advice of a parent or a pastor. And, um, to be honest, when I go to them for advice, there's two things. Sometimes I go to them with advice because I want them to confirm what I believe. And other times I go to them for advice because I really don't know what to do. And I just need to know what the word of God says I should do about the super specific situation. Um, and sometimes scripture answers that, right? Sometimes there's a very clear, direct answer about what scripture says. For example, if a friend says to you, are there multiple ways to get to God? Well, the answer is no. The reason why is because scripture says, Jesus says, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. So that question is pretty cut and dry. No, you can only get to, to God one way, and that is through Jesus. 
But then there are some other difficult situations, which are the ones we're most likely to run into every day because we're in the world. We're engaging with people that are part of the world. And the people that we love are engaging with the world as well. This kind of looks like um, a friend's husband who recently announced that he is a transgender and would like to have a sex change. How should I respond to what she tells me? Or I, another friend, a college friend and bridesmaid of mine who was in my wedding, um, is currently engaged in a polyamorous relationship with a married couple. What should I say when she tells me? Um, there's a book that all of my friends are reading, super popular, love it to pieces, um, helps them with growth and development in their personal lives, but there's some concepts in that book that aren't exactly, exactly pointing to the biblical teachings that I know that they know, love, and follow. So what do I do about it? So as a Christian, I constantly find myself asking for advice on what to do in these super specific, super complex situations. And I'm looking to scripture for that super specific, super complex answer. And it's not always there. However, when it comes to contending for the faith, we need to be practical about how we do that. And what Jude is saying is that if we, in fact, are to contend, then we need to be instructed first and foremost, on how we live. So we know what's going on in the church. And before we can have that gut-wrenching reaction of fixing, we first need to stop and remember the who, the what, the where, the why, and the how. So this is the part of the letter where Jude gets incredibly practical. First, he told his, his recipients to contend. And at the end, he tells them how. But now he's telling them to stay firm in their faith in a culture that is constantly changing. He tells them what to do to be a people characterized by faith instead of being characterized by doubt. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. That leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Jude's instructions to his recipients are God's instructions to us. And although we don't have all of the answers to these super specific complex questions, what we do have is a framework and a how to be people who contend for the faith faithfully. So Jude started his letter to those who were called loved and beloved. Then he directs the attention of the letter to the false teachers, those others. And now he's back to talking to us again. As I was saying, <laughs> um, now he's talking to us again. But you, beloved, you who are called, you who are loved, you who are kept by God. This is how you live a life in alignment with Christ. How you handle these others is a reflection of who we are. Their actions must be 
our actions must be a reflection of the truth. We cannot stoop down to their standards. So how do we live? How do we show that Christ moves and works through us when we are in these situations? He gives us four ways to do that. The first is he says, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. The second, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. The third, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And the fourth, he says, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. There he gives us the four pillars of faith. Uh, the four pillars of our faith. The first is faith. Build yourselves up most holy in faith. The second is prayer. Prayer in the Holy Spirit. The third is love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And the fourth is hope. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait in hope. So let's dive into the first one. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith. In verse 3, we tell to contend to the faith. Contend for the objective of scripture. The Contend for the objective scripture written by the prophets and the apostles. When I first initially read this, I thought I had to contend for the faith as in protect those that believe in the faith those that have come to Jesus already protect their heart, protect their minds, protect their... No, that's not it at all. What this is saying is that the very heart and soul of it, that Bible that we hold, that is the word of God and that is what we need to defend at the very bare bones of it. That is what is under attack. Not how we teach, not, how, not that. That's where the false teachers come in. What's being attacked at the very core of it is the very word of God. So they're not putting one's faith in Christ because they're confused. This is going very well. Ah, oh, there it is. Okay, so Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 reads, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Karen talked a lot about repetitive words and listening to them because God wants us to hear them and hold on to them and cling on to them. The word here that pops up a lot is together, 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 together. So do not deviate from the foundation of the faith. Engage with the word of God daily. Be around others that are engaging in the true word of God. Study it like we're doing. Surround yourself with people immersed in scripture. Go to a church where they teach the doctrine of God. Apply the word of God to your lives. Fully immerse yourself. Build yourselves up in the most holy of faith so that there can be absolutely no contention with where you stand in that. The second is praying in the Holy Spirit. And they're not talking about praying in tongues. I could go into this about my mother's church, but yeah, we have time. Listen, it wasn't only one of those churches where like the person who prayed the loudest got heard first by God. It was also one of those churches where um, people would believe that they could speak and pray and prophesize in tongues. And so we would go into a time of prayer and it was just like so loud. Everyone just like trying to pray one over one another. That's not what they're saying here at all, even though that's exactly where my mind went. 
Praying in the Spirit means that there is an intercession between us and God, and that intercession is the Holy Spirit. We don't know how to pray to God. Therefore, the Holy Spirit has to step in on our behalf. Romans 8, Paul talks about how we are no longer people of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And then further in Romans 8, verses 27 through 28, he says, And he who searches hearts knows what is what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do not pray in the flesh. Pray in the Spirit. Petition the Holy Spirit to go to God on your behalf. Prayer is an act of dependence on God. When we pray to God, we are putting down, laying it at his feet. We are surrendering in him, trusting him fully to deliver us. So he, Jude is reminding his people to pray to God and to arm themselves so that they do not waver in their faith. Then he goes on to tell them to keep yourselves in the love of God. I was a little bit confused about this because I was like, does keeping me in the love of God mean that I've fallen out of the love of God? Does I know that has nothing to do with salvation because that's been hammered into my head over and over and over again. But what does this mean? So when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, it's an imperative. It is a command. These pop up in the Bible multiple times. This isn't the first time we've seen it. You might have seen it in Philippians 2.12, where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Or you might have heard it in Colossians 3.5, where it says, put to death what is earthly in you. So all of these that we have just discussed are instructions on how to keep oneself in God's love. You do that by... Um, building yourselves in the most holy faith, affirming your faith, being firm in your faith. You do that by praying in the Holy Spirit, petitioning the Holy Spirit. These are all things that you are doing to actively keep yourself in the love of God. Um, this is not the same as salvation. This is not how one earns salvation. So he's not saying this is how you get God's love. He's saying keep it. 15, uh, John 15, 9 says... As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me. That's Jesus talking. Abide, stay, remain in his love. So we must fight to resist anything that would keep us from God's love. Because even though we've earned the free gift of salvation, there are constant elements each and every single day that are trying to tear us out of God's love, even though we're kept. And then fourth, he says, wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the best way to really understand what Jude is trying to say here is by understanding the doctrine of salvation. So first he spoke about a shared salvation, which is a common salvation. So Israel in verse five, it says God saved people out of Egypt. And then in verse 25, Jude talks about Jesus as a savior. So salvation is a theme throughout the whole of Jude. Now salvation should not be confused with conversion. Um, conversion is a product of salvation. If you do not know what conversion is, conversion is when God turns you from a sinner 
to a saint. It's when he takes you from death to life. And so salvation, we have to ask, what have we been saved from? Well, verse 5 through 15 of Jude tells us exactly what we've been saved from. We've been saved from God's response to the people, wrath. For example, Israel, unbelieving in God, was destroyed. The angels will be judged by God. Sodom was destroyed by fire. The ungodly, we're told, will be judged. And Korah perished. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What have we been saved from? We've been saved from the wrath of God. So if Israel was saved and if the angels were saved and if Korah had been saved, they would have all been rescued from the righteous judgment of God from their sin. Those who have been saved by God are saved for God. That is us. Jude is not saying that we're waiting to be judged. We have been judged and we have already been found worthy. That is why Jesus spilt his blood for our sins. We are waiting to receive what has been promised to us. We are waiting to receive our inheritance where there are others that are waiting to receive the judgment of God. There are others that are waiting to receive his wrath. Because when I read this, I was thinking, well, I thought I had received my mercy from God and my grace. So what am I, what am I waiting for, essentially? But what Jude is saying is that we have the confidence that we can wait for Jesus and that we have the confidence that there is an inheritance to us. So we are waiting for Jesus to come back and pardon those who believe And we're waiting for mercy with hope. So she goes on um, and she explains in her teaching about Hebrews 11. Now, I've heard many jokes about the book of Hebrews where women will say, it's my favorite book because Hebrews and it has to do with coffee for those who are slow like me. I was like, wait, what? But she really does go into Hebrews 11 where she talks about all of these men and women who were um, looking forward to their inheritance, even though God had made them a promise in that time. And she talks about Moses. She talks about how um, Moses was given a prom- uh, was given the promise by God of the promised land. And he had every opportunity to not identify with the people that were suffering. He had every opportunity to identify with the luxuries and the sin that came with that. And instead, he chose to suffer with his people. And instead, he chose to be treated like one of them. And it wasn't because he wanted to enter the physical promised land. It was because he knew that God had promised him something so much bigger than what was physically in front of them that he could physically touch and feel and smell that it was worth it, that it was worth it to him to contend for his faith. It was worth it for him to believe that God is who he says that he is, not to physically enter the land of milk and honey, but to because he knows he's going to physically enter the kingdom of God, which is just so much bigger than what he has uh, physically. So to keep our eyes on heaven, to wait for Jesus to come back 
it keeps us from temptation. So what Jude is telling his recipients out of all of the four things that he told them is that um, not everyone, at the end of the day, he's saying not everyone will like you because of what you stand for. But you need to stand firm in your faith. You need to know that when you have these convictions about the word of God, you're not going to be the most popular person out there. And I can contest to that. I, I don't know how to love people sometimes. I really struggle with that because I love them because Jesus tells me to love them. And I'm so, but I'm also imperfect. And at the same time, would I rather at the end of my life come before Jesus and say that I stood in an uncomfortable, uncomfortable position, but I defended the faith and what it stood for. And I defended like, like who you are and what you've done for me and through me and how you saved me and loved me and kept me and chose me and did all of this for me. Or am I going to stand before God and say, I was too scared. I was too uncomfortable. I lost a friend. Would I rather lose a friend if it meant I got Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred times, absolutely. But what I also know is that judgment doesn't come down to me. I'm just called to love my neighbor. But before I can love my neighbor, I have to understand how to love my God. And if I am to effectively love my neighbor, I am to fully understand the characteristics of my God. And I know who my God is and I know how to be kept closest to my God. And the ways that I'm going to do that is I'm going to build myself up in the faith. I'm going to make sure that my nose is buried in the word of God so that I know what his truth is. I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to petition the Holy Spirit to go before the Lord, to move through me, to move for me, to move for others, to move for those that are new to the faith, to move through those who those are confusing, that are confused and are asking questions for the faith. Holy Spirit, you show up, you do the job, you take their hand, you take their life, you take their love, you take their heart, you take their brain, right? Because I can't do it but I can pray to God to do it. And then I'm going to do everything in my effort to keep myself in the love of God. It's going to be tough sometimes because sin is my natural nature. I want to give in to it. But I know that I can, my, what I can do to contend is that I can fight to stay in the faith each and every single day. I can be with other believers. I can read the Bible for myself. I can listen to scripture. I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to the Bible. I can pray. I can pray and I can wait and I can wait with hope because I know that there is a love and I know that there is a God and I know that there is a Christ and I know that I will be given mercy because I have been given grace and because I have got my salvation. But I also know that I have marching orders and that's exactly what we're going to get next week. We're going to be told exactly how we can contend for the faith and love our neighbor. But let us make sure that we are very firm, very confident, and very content in our love of God. Let us pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth. And thank you so much for um, being the one that judges others so that we don't have to do it and so that we can just love them, God. I pray that when we are put in a position to snatch others from the fire, that um, regardless of the singes from our fingers, we do it because you have called us to. I pray that um, we are patient as we wait for you, but that we never lose hope. 
And I pray all of this in your name. Amen.